So before we get started, I want to say thank you so much for being here and happy 2020. And this is it, y'all. This is the year. This is the year that you can elevate your life and finally make those changes that I know you've been wanting to make for a long time. So if you are ready to shift your mindset so you can get through any of life's challenges, if you want to gain confidence and clarity on your goals, and finally, I mean, finally have a wellness routine that actually works with your lifestyle and keeps your body healthy and thriving, then you're in the right place. It's called your Unstoppable Life Master Course. And I've been so excited to share it with you because I know the only time I've ever been able to reach a goal is when I've had the right mindset and I've had accountability. So I'm going to be with you every step of the way in weekly live private webinars, Q&A sessions, You'll have community support, exclusive resources curated for you to have on hand as a guide along the way. What else? There's daily affirmations. There's going to be a move of the day, a dance challenge. You'll get my book, a downloadable journal, and you'll be part of a private Facebook group. So transform your life. Really transform it. Activate your highest potential you deserve to boldly shine your light. Head over to AmberlyLago.com and sign up now. And I can't wait to see you in the course. Welcome to True Grit and Grace, a podcast designed to empower you to claim your resilience and thrive through life's challenges. I am Amberly Lago, a mindset coach, fitness expert, and best-selling author. Each week, I'll dive deep with the world's brightest thought leaders and elite performers to share tangible tools and practical advice to inspire you to keep your eyes on the prize and forge ahead. So get ready to conquer your fears, heal any trauma, lead with your heart, and elevate your life with grit and grace. Hi there. I am here with someone really special, <laughs> Brian Maneo. I'm so excited to be here with you. We are actually sitting in my truck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's a great little office it's space. It's not that weird to me. So my podcast studio, in quotes, office is my laundry room. So oh, this is not this is not okay. even like the most unorthodox of settings for me. So you got a cozy truck. It reminds me of Texas. So I feel very yeah, at home actually. It's kind of like smells like a barn, so you feel <laughs> right at home. <laughs> Better than my car. So, well, I have been excited to talk to you. Yeah. I wanted to share your message and all you're doing because you're doing some amazing things. You're the founder of Smog. Yeah. And you are the founder of The Swim Mechanic. And yep. I'm going to get in the ocean with you one of these days. That's what I've been waiting for because we've yes. been scheduling this hangout even beyond the podcast. And there's probably something there. There's probably a reason why we haven't quite gotten in the ocean yet, which makes me want to do it that much more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> we will get to that. When we have been talking and I love everything that you're doing because your main purpose is to really teach people how to overcome their fear yeah. of the ocean but in the whole process 
you have really built this amazing community. And I know that you started in a lake in Texas, <laughs> but now you are all across the United States. And so I really want to talk to people about a few things, how you strengthen your resilience, how you do it all, because you have a family, yeah. you're this leader of all these groups and you run a business. And so I want to talk about that and talk about how it got started. But first, can you tell everybody what exactly smog is? Yeah. So, and I'll look forward to kind of reverse engineering this and telling the chronology of it, but smog is simply an open water community. And I always say the three tenants are service, community, and then swimming. Mm-hmm. Swimming really being like the distant third of those three, believe it or not. We happen to swim. Yeah. But what we do, we empower each other and we connect on the beach or if it's in a lake, it's in the park there and help you overcome fear to be seen and to really step into whatever it is that's holding them back. And I say this in these kind of grandiose words, not everyone realizes that's what they're getting. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are training for triathlon or they want to get fit. They've got a bucket list goal and they come to get fit. But in the process, that's when they get all this other stuff along the way. They get these bonuses of getting to meet and create relationships exactly and have it. support. That's and exactly Who are most of the people that come to meet on? Gosh, it's the whole spectrum. So I think I was mentioning to you earlier, we have a seven-year-old girl in this group in LA that was just mm-hmm. coaching about two hours ago. We have an 82-year-old man who's done a 100 Ironman. Wow. We have everyone in between, people on weight okay. loss challenges. 82, <laughs> and he's done 100 Ironman. Isn't that crazy? Oh and he started at like 40. Wow. Pretty wild. So it's for anybody. It really is for anybody. Like, you don't even have to swim. I don't even care if you want to come and just stay on the beach the whole time. Community is really like the imperative word. Mm-hmm. And what I've found, and I'll tell more of my story, is that that's what we all need the most of. We need to be seen, we need to connect, we need to be empowered by each other. And if you happen to do something great for your bodies as well, like swimming, even better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A community, I have this thing, method that I use, and it's an acronym called PACER, and I use it every day. It's a kind of a keyword to remind me that I am, I have the ability to strengthen my resilience. And one of the letters in PACER is community. And when Mm. I talk about it, I always say that community may be the most important part of PACER because for me, I grew up in Texas and I grew up like, you know, well, I've got to take care of myself. If I want something, I got to work hard for it and I have to do it on my own and I'm going to look weak if I don't Mm -hmm. do it by myself. And so I really had a hard time reaching out for help. And I realized through a lot of my struggles that once I finally, you know, had the courage to ask for help, I started developing strength through my vulnerability because I connected with other people in a community. And this community of people has been really what has gotten me through my darkest times. Yeah. Really. And so I love that you have created a community and whether you're young or old, you create a place that people feel like they belong, that they're a part of something and bigger than themselves. Like they're a part of something, a a movement. That's it. Well, and I think the people show up and they start to realize that we're all pretty similar Mm -hmm. and we all deserve the same. And, you know, we all are worthy of the same. 
So people start showing up and yeah, they're getting fitter. They're having fun. They're starting their weekend on a really good note. So they're on fire the rest of the weekend and it's kind of infectious and, and they want more of this. So in creating this, I made it a year round program. So in this case in LA, every Saturday of the year is smoke. So year round, 52 weeks out of the year, people are showing up for this group swim. And wow. So you show yeah. up every Saturday. Yeah. And so my You're amazing. <laughs> And by the way, I live in San Diego now, so I lead three of the communities, three of the 10 communities in San Diego, wow. in Orange County, Newport area, and then in Redondo Beach here in LA. And the only reason why it's worked, I believe, is the consistency. Year one, it's not like people were throwing money at me on the beach and they were fired up to see this group that was formed. It was a really slow growth, maybe mm. 10, 12 people by the end of the calendar year. But I just kept showing up. I kept showing up. And I believe that that's what's necessary to overcome fear, to really acclimate to the ocean, because throughout the year, the conditions change, the temperatures mm -hmm. change. So it's not a seasonal thing. And it just keeps getting better. And like the teacher in the ocean keeps revealing more and more. And it, I mean, it's a lifelong thing and it's a life sport. Like swimming is one of the few things that most people could do their entire life feasibly. Yeah. Unlike a lot of our sports. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to jump back to what you said about consistency, because I think that is key, not just in overcoming your fears or being a better swimmer or becoming an athlete. Yeah. But I think it's key into being successful in all aspects of your life. So. Do you find that when people are doing this and they're being consistent with showing up and meeting you here, finding that they are being more consistent in other areas of their life? Absolutely, because kind of the point I was making I didn't really elaborate on as far as it being Saturday morning, they're making the conscious choice, probably on Friday for that matter. So Friday night looks different. They're probably not gonna go out and maybe go to a party or even stay up late for that matter. So then they're kind of trimming back the excess on their Fridays in a healthy way. Saturday, they wake up mm -hmm. early, they're on it, they're doing something healthy for themselves, socially, intellectually, physically. So I think it does start to spill over in other facets of their life where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, this is pretty cool. I wanna start a community at my work. Like, can I start like a kickball league or whatever it is? I see people finding that there's a lot of simplicity in this and it's just creating the ability again to be seen so people show up and they're gonna be happy to see you whatever that is that you're doing yeah. yet it doesn't exist many places wow kudos to you for showing up and showing up consistently and that's something that i think people need to hear that you know a lot of times success looks easy like mm -hmm. especially on social media yeah. it looks like oh, well, they overcame this and now they are, you know, leading all these people or they're a speaker or they wrote a book and yeah. now look, it's a bestseller. All these different things that people yeah. accomplish and they don't see the behind the scenes, how much work goes into it. And it's about being consistent and yeah. showing up and continuing to show up when it's hard or sometimes you don't feel like it. And so that is what makes success right there you're right like the whole like overnight success i feel like is a total farce yeah like no one wakes up the next day after thinking of an idea and it just pops mm -hmm. and also similar to like someone saying they're self-made i think that's a farce too like oh there, there, sure. there is a strong team behind any person and i think that's where this works because we are again we're a community we're lifting each other up and yeah. i didn't create this i'm one person out of the couple thousand now well but you know what 
Okay, I'm going to stop you right now. Oh, I like it. All right, I see where this is going. <laughs> you are being really humble right now <laughs> because you're a badass. <laughs> you have done so much with this. You have really, you started this. This whole idea came, I mean, you've been in the fitness and wellness industry or for years. Yeah. And you started this with your company, your Maneo Athletics. Yeah. And it started in a lake in Texas. And growing up in Texas, I know about those lakes. Ooh. And they're gross, okay? No, like, I should have been paying <laughs> those people to go into lakes. Like, they were paying me money somehow. Yeah, it's like crazy, uh. those lakes. And you went from that because of your dedication and consistency. And I really feel like it's because of your passion behind <laughs> it you have managed to get people on board because your passion and your positivity is contagious and it really people want to be around you and they want to look it's not often that i'm like yeah i want to get in the ocean and swim and i was like i met you i'm like yeah i want to get in the ocean and swim yeah yeah because it's fun and smog shows that it can be fun it can be safe it can Mm -hmm. be empowering so without getting too wordy i'll tell you kind of my story because my passion actually came from fear and it's kind of cheesy but my catchphrase in my head always is i went from fear to career I turned my fear into my career. And I don't know that that's the answer for everybody, that whatever your fear is, that maybe has the power to become your career. But I do think that it is kind of a portal that unlocks a lot of things for you that will probably shape how you approach your career and your life. So for me, I grew up a swimmer in the pool in Texas. And, you know, that's great years up through high school. I was not super competitive. I enjoyed the water. I had never been in the open water. And when I was 18, I went in the open water with someone training for a triathlon. And I was supposed to be coaching them because they thought they knew I was a swimmer. And I thought I was gonna impress them by being their coach or whatever. We get out there, it was Easter Sunday and Easter in Texas is still pretty cold. Mm -hmm. Super ominous, dark. It was like almost about to rain sort of feeling. You can kind of see the picture painted. Uh No one's fishing out there, it's quiet. The lake is empty, it's kind of eerie. We get out there, they take off and I guess at this point I realized, I'm like, okay, I don't actually know what I'm doing. I've been in the pool countless hours, the kind of 10X thing, done the 10,000 hours in the pool, get in the open water, start swimming out maybe 25 yards off shore, and I'm panicking. Like, my mind's starting to spin out. They're way ahead of me, and they look back and kind of like gesture, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I wasn't okay. I get another 25 yards in, I'm swallowing water. There's a little bit of chop on the surface from the wind. And mentally at that point, I convinced myself that I couldn't do it. I knew that I couldn't do it which wasn't true, but your mind is that powerful. I literally convinced myself that I wasn't gonna be able to do this. So they swam back to me and I remember mouthing the words, just breathe, saying, just breathe to me. And that was the first time I'd thought about my breath. It's like, oh, breathe. Regained my breath, swam the maybe 50 yards back to shore, which is like a minute in swimming time, and kind of hung my head in shame. Really? And this was the first time that I had found that word fear. Really? And I had a definition of what fear was. And the most humbling piece is that my identity was swimming, yet that was the place I was finding my fear. Mm. And it baffled me. And I drove home 30 minutes from that Lake Grapevine that night and just, I was embarrassed. I was shocked. I knew there was work to be done. And I definitely did not have the foresight to really know what that work was, that it was significant, which Mm -hmm. it became very significant. 
So the next day was Monday and I drove straight from school to this lake. And my plan was really no plan. I was going to get in the water and try to overcome this fear. Oh, wow. And well, good for you because a lot of people would have just been like, I am never doing right. that again. What was it in you that made you think? Was that just like something that was in you? I think so. I think it was more of at that age and impressionable. I was just 18 years old. You're self-conscious. And I think I was so self-conscious about how embarrassed I was that I didn't want to feel that again. And I knew there was something there to be learned. And so I went there really with no plan. And day one was me waist deep in the water, just walking through and re-going through that entire thing in my head. Really? I did not go back to that because I went back on Wednesday. So day two was Wednesday. I kind of advanced off of that by maybe submerging up and down. Really? And I just created this methodology, this progression that I kind of teach today to some degree. And again, this was not like, I didn't have this aha moment like, oh, this is my calling. This is my career. I was just trying to survive and overcome this fear. So my point in this whole thing is that I kept it a secret. I was ashamed. I was embarrassed. And if I would have had one person, much less a community of people to make me feel safe, to make me feel like it's okay and it's mm -hmm. acceptable, I could have fast tracked the whole thing. And actually, maybe this wouldn't even happen in the first place. Wow. So I think a lot of people see me and they see I have all these photos of me in the ocean. I'm in the ocean every day, but I wasn't always like this like stud swimmer. I and still... you know, your pictures are beautiful. <laughs> Seriously, you have to check out the photography on the swim mechanic on Instagram. It's the swim mechanic. Yeah. Oh my Thanks. gosh. Every picture should be poster sized. <laughs> beautiful pictures. But I love that you have the courage to share, especially as a studly man have the courage to share that it yeah. wasn't always that way that you were scared that you had this fear and because there's not a lot of guys especially that are strong and athletic right. that would admit that That's and true. i think there's so many people that actually feel that way yeah you know what i love now in creating smog in creating that sort of safe space I love when I get like the super high level exec or the CEO coming to smog and I get to see them in their most vulnerable moment of the week where at work, they're the ones barking out the orders per se, or they're the ones that are to be really recognized. They come to smog and they're vulnerable. And I love that they're one step into that. Mm -hmm. And two, that it's humanizing and say, okay, he's the same as me. He yeah. might be making a million bucks a year, making big decisions bigger than I can ever imagine but he's in the same place as us. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole melting pot of this community is that it's everybody. So we're yeah. all equal. And again, we realize like, okay, I guess this human experience is, is pretty similar. It might express itself in different ways, different people, but we all need and crave the same like innate, very simple things like community. Yeah. yeah. I actually had a client of mine years ago. She grew up in California, in LA, and I was going paddle boarding and I invited her to go paddle boarding with me. And now she's young, she's like in her twenties. Yeah. And to me, that's young <laughs> and, <laughs> <That> um, <is laughs> and took her paddle boarding. And I have so much respect for her because when I asked her to go, I had no idea. She had never been in the open water. Whoa. Not only had she never been paddle boarding, she had never been in open water. And she was willing to trust me enough to go paddle boarding. And not that I am an expert paddle boarder by any means. <laughs> I went with a group of people went out, but she was so scared to fall in the water. 
she was the only person that stayed on top of that paddleboard. Oh. We all, everyone else <laughs> fell in the water. She was the only one. She was like, I am not falling in that water. I am yeah. staying on. Her toes so she, are clenching the board. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. awesome. Wow. Yeah, but it was the first time that I kind of experienced see somebody that was had that fear mm-hmm. of the open water because well, well, I'm not a very good swimmer, but I don't have a fear of the open water. Right. Like I saw that day we were out paddleboarding. There was a school of dolphins in front of us, and I'm the kind of person that I was like, oh, cool, dolphins. And I like <laughs> was trying to paddle as fast as I could to get out to those dolphins. Right. But it gave a new perspective yeah. of people that do have a fear of being in the open water. Which is, is honestly, I don't have a stat on this, but I would guess more than half the population easily. Mm-hmm. But what I was going to ask you is, did you guys feel like any bit of bond after that together? Yeah, like I've always felt really close and connected with her. Mm-hmm. Like I always kind of took her under my wing. She was a client and kind of took her under my wing. as nice. like more than a client, like a yeah. daughter to me. She's a sweetheart. And... After that, that's an experience that we both will never forget. You know, she's moved on. She's gone. She lives in San Diego now. But we always have that experience that I feel like brought us closer. And I think there is what I have found is in the community of people that I have, especially those that live with chronic pain, because Mm -hmm. I live with chronic pain every day. And those people that have chronic pain, and we've bonded and we understand what it's like. And I feel somewhat like a brotherhood or sisterhood yeah. with those people because we get it on a different level. 100%. And I think it's important. And I think that there's been many occasions when, you know, I've had a bad day with pain or they've had a bad day and they have some pain that's been, you know, really escalated that we can connect and talk and then we mm-hmm. feel like we can move through it and right. move forward right you know that's very cool so as far as the open water goes what i've found i think the gold in the group being based in the open water is the dynamic nature of the open water and because it's a blue planet mm-hmm. so water is everywhere we're surrounded and we're affected by it day to day and i think a lot of people are unconscious of that in california i think it's obvious we pay a lot of money to live on the coast because of the ocean mm-hmm. and we're pretty aware of that yeah <laughs> but right it's like it's like okay that's how we yeah. justify uh-huh. well we uh, live by the ocean yeah, yeah. my rent's five grand a month it's because oh we live near the ocean so i think the problem or the bummer i see is that most people aren't getting in the ocean and i think it's okay there's still some connection to the ocean that's powerful that can be done on land but until you get in that the lessons haven't been learned yet they haven't mm-hmm. even been revealed yet because the ocean's different every moment, of course, every day of the year, the seasons change with different temperatures. That's, I think, really the goldenness is that we're going through something different every single time. So it's never like this template that we show up and know, okay, this is what we're going to experience, or this is our challenge or obstacle today. Yeah. There's, there's no way to predict that. I love that. And, you know, for me, the ocean, you know, especially since I moved to California, and I was able to go to the ocean, but anytime I feel like I really need to do some healing emotionally, or if I have a big decision to make, or if I just need to pause in life, I always go to the ocean. And even when I can't make it to the ocean, I actually have an app on my phone and every night, I go to bed with the sound of the ocean. That's how I can fall asleep. I love it. We do that with our baby. You do. And so I've got that on my Spotify. 
and I'll hop my car and the Bluetooth picks up the Spotify, I'll find myself listening to the ocean sounds while I'm driving for 20, 30 minutes. I'm like, oh, like, can I snap out? Like, whoa, because it's so relaxing. And it is. It's it so, it oh. really calms my mind. Yeah. And so I found that that is how I go to sleep. That's how I can shut off mm-hmm. my mind a little bit in a more, you know, because there's so many people that are stressed out out there that, you know, try to go to sleep or calm themselves down. You know, there are people out there that are hooked on taking you know, sleeping pills or anti-anxiety medication when they can meditate or listen to the ocean or do things like start swimming with you on Saturdays to start their week off in the right way. Yep. And the, the ocean is very meditative in a lot of ways. Like there's a very strong breath component to that, which I do teach a lot. And there's nothing more present than being in the ocean. Yeah. As a literal means of survival you have to be present yeah your mind can't wander when you're out there and that is really one of my ultimate goals is to be more present because i feel like we can get so caught up for me anyway i can get caught up and now it's same oh i have this event coming up oh i have to do this I and have you've to... got your phone in front of you and you're scrolling constantly stuff and... yeah that's been a teacher of mine that I've been reminded constantly recently because of our daughter. She's six months old almost. And if I have the phone in my hand and she's in my lap, let's say she's like a magnet drawn to the phone. I'm like, oh my gosh. Put that down. Put it down. And I don't want her memories of me as she's getting older to be me distracted. Me distracted Mm -hmm. by my phone and not present with her. And that didn't exist when we were kids, of course. And it's tough not to get caught up in that. And I'm totally guilty of that, too. It really is. And I'm grateful, you know, I have an 11-year-old and she's just starting to get into the social media a little bit. She just started elementary school. And I'm trying my best to set an example of not always being on the phone mm-hmm. but it's hard it's when hard. you're running a business and yeah. so much everything is happening so fast you yeah. know how often do you get in the ocean for yourself for a workout yeah not very often and i know we've kind of talked about that and it's probably similar to a massage therapist is probably not going to give their partner a massage at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or like a personal trainer like yourself. And I've been a personal trainer. You're probably not going to spend a lot of time at the end of the day of training people to do your own workout. And I'm guilty of that. But at the same time, I'm very happy with my balance, with my time in the water and how I'm feeding myself because I get to be in the ocean three, four hours most days with clients, whether it's on a paddleboard or a surfboard or in the water or on the beach. And that totally fills my cup. I think where I am right now, racing is a low priority. I've never been super competitive in that regard. I don't think I have anything to prove with my fitness in that sense. So I'm really happy. I might do my own swim once, twice a week, which might sound shocking for someone who thinks they on social media, they know me. I'm in the water a ton. Yeah. And it's just my home, you know, and I almost have separated from even the word workout when it comes to the ocean. It's just like, I just like to move in the water. I don't even know what you want to call it, but I guess some of those are workouts. I don't know. Well, do you believe that we can have kind of work life family balance? Do you believe in that? Gosh, I struggle with that one. Like that phrase work life balance. It suggests that we're not doing something right. It suggests that there is a right way to do it. And yeah. I don't believe, I don't care for that, I guess. Because if something's going to work for you, it might not and probably won't work for me. So 
maybe the barometer should be more of like happiness. So if oh, you're not, yeah, if your cup's not totally full, if you're not totally happy, then you want to maybe rearrange some things or look a little closer. Why is that? But I try not to be like, you know, I need to spend more time on my fitness because I'm so much more focused on my business right now. I just keep my attention on the things that are feeding me the most right now. And that's kind of as simple as I try to do it. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I don't really ever think there is a balance. Mm. <laughs> I think it's chaotic no. and crazy. What I do is I just really try to focus on priorities and making sure my priorities are straight. For me, family comes first. Yeah. And then everything falls into place. And I try to make sure that, you know, I feed in my heart and soul, but I have to put my family first. And I mean, I come from, I had a marriage before that failed and it was like, we didn't have the same priorities. And I mm -hmm. think that's something I had to take a look at, but yeah, life gets kind of crazy and chaotic. And I like that you said you have to focus on what's feeding you. That's it. Yeah. And that's always evolving. And as you can imagine, as a new father right now, I'm on fire and I'm really happy. And you're, she's so beautiful. She, Your daughter gosh. is so sweet. I mean, I have a hard time ever saying no to her. Oh yeah. Just, <laughs> Get ready. She's just the sweetest thing ever. And I'm in this new chapter of my life. And so your question, work-life balance really resonates now because I, I almost don't care. I'm like, you know what? I'm doing everything to create the best family, the best marriage, my, me as a man feeling fulfilled and happy. I think I'm doing pretty well with that. And mm. I've never gone this deep into stuff. And I'm reworking a little bit on some things, looking backwards on the why I am here, why I am the way I am. And I've revealed a lot of stuff and it's been humbling. And I think the timeliness is because of my daughter coming to the world. Yeah. And before she came into the world, I think I was just sort of a reality check. I'm like, well, this is where I am. This is where I want to be for her and for us. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that for me, I get asked a lot, what is your biggest inspiration? For me, my biggest inspiration comes from my children. Uh, They're why I do a lot of things. They're why I decided to be resilient. They're why I decided not to give up. They're why I try my best to set a good example. And I think that when you have, you know, you had your daughter, it's like it puts things in perspective of yeah. what's important, whether or not you're going to continue doing something. If right. Not, yeah. Right. And this is not me being like, everyone should be having kids. Although I do think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Like, yeah. Consider it. Yeah. Have some babies. But it's finding that why. And the why for me, I don't know why it was never super clear to me. And I'm not saying I aimlessly traveled through the world, but I was living for my heart always, but always searching for my mark. And what was my offering, my gift, like mm -hmm. my purpose? Certainly stepped into that role the past five years or so. But when the baby came along, it wasn't a decision. It was an unconscious thing that I had to really, really approach and go into. Full steam ahead. Yeah. It's been the best year. That, I mean, since my wife was pregnant to now, I guess 15 months, it's just been, it's been the best. It's, oh, it's crazy. Yeah. I think I just told my husband day before yesterday, and I was telling my daughter, it was the best time of my life. And I know there will be more fun times to come and I look forward to that but it is such a magical time we were talking before we started the podcast and I was telling you how we didn't think that doctors told my husband and I that we weren't going to be able to right. have a baby and when I got pregnant 
it was such a gift and I appreciated that so much. The fact that, you know, I kind of mourned the fact that we Mm -hmm. weren't able to have a baby and then, you know, but everybody's different. I'm not saying everybody should have a baby, but it is (laughs) because it's not always easy. Believe me, you know, I've had one that's getting out of that phase. She went through the phase. She's 24 in a couple of days. And I went through that where I felt like she was replaced with an alien. I thought, where did my sweet angel baby go? (laughs) She's a teenager now. Uh, And I'm starting to approach that time with my youngest now. I won't be ready for that either. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a challenging time. Right. But our kids teach us a lot about ourselves and about other things as well. There's one thing that I do like to ask everybody on my podcast. What is resilience to you? And how do you tap into your resilience? So resilience to me, the only way to have resilience and to become more resilient, I believe is being present in the moment. Because Mm -hmm. of the infinite variables and distractions around us, I always say limit your distractions. Be present in this moment, not looking either direction, forward or behind. And that's gonna provide you the answers you need in that moment. Love that. And then you always see, you can handle whatever it is that you're approaching. You always have more than enough. Yeah. But I think we let ourselves get distracted by different things, whether it's the voice in your head or someone else's literal voice that breaks you down. Mm-hmm. And that can start to convince you in a patterned way that you aren't able or you aren't capable or enough. What do you do? Do you ever have those voices that come up that say you're not enough? Or what were you thinking? What do you think you can do this? What do you do if you have one of those? Because I get that all the time. Oh, or man. I get that negative self-talk and they just want to have a party up in my head. What do you do to shut that off? Yeah, I have that a lot too. My self-critic is loud and present. I go to my breath. So oh. breath work for me, and I might be misusing the term breath work, Breath work for me is literally breathing and this listening and tuning into my breath. Same thing I do to help you overcome fear of the ocean is literally listen to the rise and fall of the inhale, exhale. Just pay attention to that. Mm. Everything else is blocked out. All the noise, the negative self-talk goes away. Our brain can focus on one thing at a time. So I go to my breath in those times. If I'm mm. stressed, if I'm feeling bad about myself or unconfident, I go to my breath. And you kind of feel your shoulders relax and I feel a little bit of that ease. It's like, ah, okay, it's not as bad as I maybe thought it was. Or it's not as do or die as I thought it was. I love that. Actually, last night I got into bed. I had a big day yesterday. I had a big event. And, you know, in in California, we have a lot of traffic. So I had spent like five and a half hours on the road that day in traffic. And when I got in bed last night, my body was tight. And I realized I was taking these short, shallow breaths. And my body, my whole nervous system was just shot. (laughs) And... I focused on my breath and it made such a difference. So I love that that is something that anybody can do starting right now is just to focus on their breathing. So whether they're listening to this podcast in their car and they're driving in traffic or they're listening in their house or they're, you know, whatever they're struggling with or in the future, if they're struggling with that inner critic telling them they can breathe through it. That's it. Well, and I told the story earlier about my first finding the fear in the lake and the person said, just breathe. Mm. And I've kind of kept those words with me for a long time. I know they didn't mean anything guru-like about it. I don't think they realized the weight of those words to me. 
but just breathe is everything and breath means life in the mm -hmm. dictionary you know it's really that is our foundation so when that's in place then you have your ceiling as high as it goes for your potential to do whatever it is i love that i love that yeah I used to always be a big planner. I had ever I mean, I still <laughs> like to plan, but I like had everything planned out. I knew exactly how, when, where right. my life was going to happen. And it wasn't until, you know, things drastically changed in my life that I realized sometimes we don't need a plan. We just need to take a step back, take a deep breath and go forward from there yeah and so that's something i try to do even just yesterday we were taking pictures and there was someone that was like taking a lot of pictures and i realized we were standing there taking a picture and i was holding my breath and i'm like why am i holding my breath to take yeah. a picture i don't know what that was but i had to remind myself to breathe just be yeah just breathe yeah, yeah. just be just breathe isn't yeah. that funny? Yes. Yeah, I think we find ourselves posturing ourselves in a certain way. We want to be seen or heard in a certain way. And that's not what people want to see or hear either. Even like right now, this podcast, we're trying to find like, where's the most quiet place we can do it? And it's like, well, so what? We're in a truck right now. Yeah, we're and in a truck. They're, Gardeners they're... <laughs> came along. They've got the blower. And, that's, and it's it, like, well, it, this is life. It is what this it is. is. And this is going to be parking anywhere and doing this. And that's relatable. A person listening to this, they have their own distractions going on. So my new thing is limit the distractions. Mm -hmm. And that's what meditation is all, like largely is if you're in a room meditating and you hear some a book close, that shouldn't be a distraction to you, right? Mm -hmm. And if you are truly internal and focused and singular, that's not going to be something that distracts you. Same as the gardener's not going to distract us, the UPS truck went by, shouldn't be a big distraction to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just gave a talk and there behind in the very back, there was a bar and food being served. And there were some people there that were having a good old time <laughs> drinking and getting rowdy. And I had to give this talk and I'm used to it. And at first I was like, oh, no, that critic came in and was telling me, oh, they don't like me. They're not listening to me. I'm not important enough because they're not stopping the drinking to come listen to me. <laughs> and then I had to just go, nope, stop. I need to stop that inner critic. Be in. I always say, for me, get out of my head and into my heart. Oh, that's good. And so as soon as I can get in my heart, yeah. then, you know, I just remember my why and breathe and mm -hmm. then move forward. I think it's finding love for yourself, too. Like uh -huh. the inner critic is largely a form of self-hate. Mm -hmm. And... I don't even know. I don't know where that comes from. I, I'm not even going to go a spiritual direction with that, but it's there. It's very omnipresent. And for most people, it's pretty much like the first forefront thing that comes up. But having the tools to, to quiet that voice, that's kind of what we've been talking about. That might be the most valuable thing in life. Mm -hmm. So you can be you and not let this affect every aspect of your life. Yeah. 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 So true. Well, I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to go backwards here a little bit. Oh, okay. Okay, so we're both from Texas. Yeah. Which I really admire, and I love that uh, we have a very similar background. And it's crazy how we met, because we met through, really through our friend Dan. Yeah. Right? Dan yeah, we, we met through Dan, and I think you and I are both equally intuitive with making connections. I don't know, I was kind of drawn to you, and I saw your guys' podcast, and I was like, huh, like, we share a lot of things in common, even in very different ways. Like, yeah. you're not an ocean yeah. swimmer, obviously. And I reached out, and with arms wide open, you were stoked to talk to me. We talked on the phone for half an hour, and 
I don't know. I feel like I had known you for a long time. Like we just had this friendship. Yeah. And then when I finally got to meet you in person today, I felt like I was meeting an old friend or seeing an old friend when I finally got to see you. Yeah. And I know that might seem kind of odd to people, but I think when you meet someone and you share so much the same, you know, I feel like we're connected and we didn't even know right. so much that we had in common yeah. until we got to talking a little more. And I'm like, oh, if, well, of course we were friends right away. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Aww. Well, OK, so your book, your podcast, there's a theme here, this true grit and grace. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to, was it nine years ago when you had your accident? Yeah, nine years ago when everything changed for me, when... So so hold that. Before everything changed, what are the biggest differentiators? Like, who were you then that you're clearly just not today? Stuff that you got to put behind you and move on from. Well, stuff that I got to put behind me was, I didn't realize it at the time, but I think so much of my identity and my self-worth was based on what I could do and what I looked like. Mm. Because my whole life, you know, I was a professional dancer. Then I had been in the fitness industry, but I did infomercials and fitness Mm -hmm. videos. And, you know, I was on the news doing fitness. And so I was sponsored by Nike at one time. Hmm. And, you know, I didn't come from an easy background. And so my default was to always do something to make me feel good. And so that meant make straight A's, run the fastest, Mm -hmm. get the most awards. So, you know, growing up, I had set a record in Texas for running the mile the fastest. I moved out to LA and I would take the most dance classes and I would, you know, work the hardest. When I moved out here, I got four jobs because one job wasn't enough. (laughs) So I got four, you know, (laughs) and so I worked hard and I was really caught up in my self-worth being what I could achieve, how Mm -hmm. much money I could make and what I looked like because a lot of my career had been what I looked like. That was your value, right? That was my value. And then suddenly, you know, I'm hit by an SUV while riding my motorcycle home from work. And I had somebody yesterday at this event go, well, what happened to the other guy? And I was confused at first. I was like, what do you mean? They were in an SUV. Nothing happened to them. She goes, no, the person that was driving the motorcycle. I said, no, no, no. I was driving the motorcycle. (laughs) It was my Harley. So it was my Harley. I get hit once I stopped sliding across the asphalt, which seemed like eternity. And I looked down at my leg and it was just broken into pieces. My first thought, believe it or not, was, oh my gosh, this kind of sucks. I might have to train clients on crutches for a while. Oh my gosh. That, that was literally the first thought. That was literally one of the first thoughts I had. And then I thought, you know, then I was like screaming out cuss words and you know, call 911 and call my husband. And I didn't want to try to reach around on my backpack and grab my phone because I was hanging on to my leg. I thought my leg, if I let go, I thought it was going to fall off because it was into pieces. My Mm. foot was off and there was blood everywhere. And I didn't know at the time that you can bleed out within like minutes when oh. your femoral artery is severed and my femoral artery was severed oh, geez. and I wish I knew who this guy was I had a guardian angel it was a somebody from right on the street came and they took off their belt and they made a tourniquet on my leg right away 
Well, I got rushed to the hospital. They put me in induced coma. And when I woke up, the first thing that they told me was, we're going to have to amputate your leg. And I was devastated because it was my whole identity. It was my livelihood. But not only that, I was a runner. And running was my drug of choice. Running is what I did. It's what I would do when I was younger. And I had like a date that I was so nervous about a guy picking me up wanting to go out on a date. I would go for a run. If I was, you know, sad, I would go out for a run. That was my meditation. That was my medicine. It was everything. That's how I explored. When I went on vacation, I'd go for a run. So this was everything. And now Hmm. I had somebody saying they were going to amputate my leg. And they said, you've got a 1% chance of saving it. I mean, it's crushed. It's like a war wound. And when they said, you've got a 1% chance, I thought, well, then there's still a chance. And so... It took an act of God. We finally found another doctor at another hospital that was willing to try to work on it. And it took 34 surgeries and months in the hospital, but they were able to save my leg. And I had no idea sitting in the hospital with my leg all bandaged up and sitting there for months. I had no idea how drastic, how life-changing it would be. And I remember I was being, you know, so excited to be getting out of the hospital and they unbandaged my leg and I looked at my leg and just being devastated because it really looked like Frankenstein. Mm. And from my hip all the way down to my toes, I was stapled up and stitched up, tubes coming out of my leg. And I thought, oh my God. And then I had one of the doctors say, well, you'll never run again. And you'll probably never wear shorts again. And it hit me. And I thought, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And there was a moment in there that I thought I'll never forget that doctor's words. And I used that to motivate me to prove to myself that I will run again. Mm -hmm. And now that wasn't an overnight thing. And I definitely not wearing shorts wasn't an overnight thing. It took me two years to be able to run two years. Of, first, I had to learn to stand again. Right. And it took me longer than that. It took me about four years before I'd wear shorts again because I had so much shame. Mm-hmm. But fast forward to today, you know, yesterday I gave an inspirational talk in front of a group of women wearing a dress that at one point I thought, well, I'm going to have to throw that dress away or give that dress. I had a bag to give to Goodwill because I thought I'll never wear that again because I could never show my legs. And it's taken a long time, a lot of self-love and compassion and self-acceptance to get to a place where I finally feel comfortable in my own skin and I finally can look at my leg with some acceptance and I kind of look at it now as not, you know, I was so ashamed of it. Now I can look at it as, wow, I went through a lot and I survived that. Mm -hmm. And I can show my scars so that others know that they can heal instead of looking at my scars as something shameful and try to cover it up. Right. So you kind of went through this identity crisis that first however many days, weeks, years, but that wasn't your identity. You weren't a runner. You weren't a model 
So what did you reveal about yourself of who you were through this? Like, what did you find was your true identity because of all this you had to sort of shed and get rid of in a sense? Well, I discovered a lot about myself. First of all, I discovered a lot of past wounds Mm -hmm. and trauma that I did not realize I had been running from my whole life. I was literally running from instead of dealing with a lot of, you know, trauma that I was trying to cover up and run from by literally running and overexercising and overworking. I realized that I can still be a worthy mom and human and, you know, person and friend and wife and that I didn't have to work for jobs or I didn't have to look a certain way that I was worthy just being me that I was enough Mm -hmm. and that's taken a lot because I went through this dark period where I really I was in bed and I was thinking I was having those thoughts of well you know they can find another mom you know my husband didn't marry this person i'm not a good enough wife and i was about ready to give up and there was that little bit of light left in me that said don't give up just reach out for help gather the little bit of strength and courage that you have and ask for help and that's when i was like i need help because i was trying to do it on my own i was trying to do everything on my own And on the outside, I was like trying to pretend like everything was okay. And on the inside, I was just dying inside. Wow. Mm. So what was the form of help that you found? Well, I reached out to a friend because at this point in time, I had gone from having a career and being successful. I had trainers, like three trainers that worked for me and to losing my career to being unhappy, to losing hope, I I was hanging on by a thread. And I was living in a lot of pain. I was diagnosed with a disease called complex regional pain syndrome, which leaves you in constant chronic pain. It's a disease of the sympathetic nervous system, and it's caused by trauma. Some people get it from a sprained ankle. You know, I got it by being hit by an SUV, but it, we all, you know, when I found out I had this and that the pain was never going to get better, you know, I had a doctor tell me, you know, you need to get back in your wheelchair. Are you the kind of person that likes to push through pain? And I was like, hell yeah, I am. I grew up in Texas with grit and I know how to cowgirl up and, you know, I'll prove it to you. I'm not going to get in that wheelchair. And yeah. I was doing that. I was proven him wrong. I am not going to get in that wheelchair. But what I was doing was sucking it up. And that served me. And it all worked until it didn't because I was trying every kind of everything for pain and nothing was working, including spinal blocks. I had never done a drug in my life. I wasn't a big partier. And all of a sudden they're inducing me with ketamine to try to reboot my nervous system. So I was being induced with ketamine. That wasn't working. I did a spinal stimulator. That didn't work. I was trying all these things from all kinds of, you know, reading books to listening to motivational speakers, everything to kind of keep sucking it up and moving along. And everything came tumbling down when the pain just wasn't going away. And I remember 
drinking wine and thinking, well, this helps with my pain. And I don't, you know, mm. I'm an athlete and I don't really want to have to do this, but I guess if this is going to help with my pain, I guess I can live with that. I'll just, you know, because I was really healthy. Do you think it was more numbing your brain from the pain itself? Well, at first I thought I was just numbing the pain. But as I got into it, I realized the drinking was starting to numb out that self-critic. Your feelings. My feelings, because um, at the same time, I had started trying to write my book. And I was writing about my experience as a child, which weren't so pretty or easy. And so everything was right in the forefront. It was right in my face. So every, and I thought, well, shoot, this drinking wine kind of numbs it all out. And, you know, I think that's something that there was a lot of shame that came from talking about that. Because before I knew it, I was drinking every day. Mm-hmm. Before I knew it, all of a sudden, I was addicted to drinking. Yeah. And I was physically addicted. And I got scared one day when I had tremors. And I thought, oh my God, I've got a problem. Wow. And there was a lot of shame that came around admitting it to myself. How was I, an athlete and a good girl, mm-hmm. married to a lieutenant with a highway patrol, an alcoholic how could that be how did this happen to me Hmm. and i remember going to my husband and admitting that to him and he said you don't have a problem and you are not going to go to anybody with this kind of a problem because you don't have a problem anybody would understand drinking with what you've been through anybody would probably do the same thing which was really hard to hear because I knew that I needed help. But to hear that made me think, oh, well, maybe I don't. So I went from hiding my drinking to hiding going to a recovery program. I went to a 12-step program to get help, and I had to hide that because I didn't want my husband to disapprove. I didn't want other people to know that I was trying to recover from this. So it was quite, you know, it took a lot of, well, you know what it took? It was desperation and a willingness. I wanted so badly to have my life back, not just to have my life back, to have a better life. And I was willing to do whatever it took to get that back. And it's been a little over, and this isn't something that I talk about a lot. In fact, I've never talked about this on a podcast before, but it is something that I think I wanted to share because if there's anybody listening out there that needs help or feels like it's too shameful to talk about or to reach out and get help, you know, addiction doesn't discriminate. Right. It's widespread among, you know, I know a lot of people that doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, old, young, male, female, you think you're strong, whatever, you know, and I remember when I first went into a recovery, I went into a room and thought, how did a good girl like me end up in a place like this? And then I think it is a pivotal moment for me because it has been the biggest blessing in my life because it has 
really allowed me to connect spiritually on a much like I feel more connected with God now than I ever have and yeah. I grew up going to church but now I feel more spiritually connected I have a community of people a sisterhood and brotherhood of people that I feel more connected to and I think it has repaired you know I make a living amends to my children and my husband and I think it has allowed me to have an even you know bigger bond with my husband so yeah. Well, what resonates a lot with me there is, and it makes me think of myself a bit, like you hear about this rock bottom that people have to hit to be inspired or feel the urgency to make change. But that rock bottom can be very subtle. And that rock bottom can be the appearance that cannot be so much to someone else. Like they might not pick up on what that oh, rock Oh, there are a is. lot of people that they had no idea how bad it really was for me. My rock yeah. bottom was I didn't want to live anymore but I wasn't, you know, I hadn't created a lot of chaos or a lot of times people's rock bottoms or they went to jail or they almost died. Now I almost died a couple of times, but it wasn't, <laughs> it was, that wasn't, Casual, yeah. it was just, you know, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. It's your curious. rock bottom can be different. There might be somebody listening today that this may be their day that they said, I'm going to stop digging my rock bottom ends today. Your rock bottom yeah. ends wherever you just stop digging, yeah. you know? And I was like, I'm going to stop digging. This is it. I want my life to be better. Well, and it's kind of the onion. You keep peeling away layers and revealing more and more and you go in deeper. It's kind of a two-sided thing. It's a bit of a Pandora's box. There's no turning back once you have awareness of these things. You start mm -hmm. making progress, doing the work, quote unquote. But it's also the biggest blessing. And it's the most necessary work that something has to slap you in the face and say, hey, like this needs to be done or you're just gonna keep on this very low frequency your entire life and never reach a potential that you hope to reach. Yeah, I kind of thought, you know, this can't be it. This cannot be the rest of my life. There has to be more. It has to get better. They're just, I know there has to be a different way, a better way. And then I realized I have a choice. And the, the truth is we all have a choice. And I think when we realize we have a choice, we take our power back because we can, you know, have somebody say something to us like the doctor that told me, you need to go get back in your wheelchair. Your life's never going to be the same. You're going to be permanently disabled. Well, yeah, I may have my life isn't what it used to be, but right. my life is so much better in different ways. And I've had to decide that I want to choose happiness, that there's a different way, that everything is figure outable, that we can find a way to figure out what our purpose is and how to have joy. That's right. Oh, it's so good. I'm kind of absorbing what you just said right there. And my thing I keep coming back to recently for me internally is, is limit the distractions. Mm -hmm. so there's so many things in the world that will tease us and sort of tempt us. And if you can scrape all that away, it's pretty clear and, and everything is there for you. I kind of want to share my story a little bit, if you don't mind. Yes, you were going to tell me something in the yeah. coffee shop. And you're like, I'm going to save it. I want to know. Well, and I haven't shared this on a podcast or with many people that matter either because it's very personal to me but I'm also ecstatic to share it because I think it's relatable. So I never seemingly had a drinking or drug problem, but 
I, for years, smoked weed almost every single day. I would have a beer or two at night or maybe bourbon. Mm -hmm. And I justified it as, you know, I did it in a very controlled way. You never see me drunk. You never see me like messed up, quote unquote. I was always very presentable with that and articulate still, even if I was buzzed. But I had a problem. I mean, I definitely had a problem. And I was utilizing these things in a way to be avoidance of my reality. And I didn't know how to go inward. I didn't know how to address or even recognize what I was feeling. Literally, in the past, if you asked me how something made me feel, I have a really hard time saying that made me sad, made me happy, made me mad. I just did not have those tools. And so drugs, alcohol, is what I would use to just like kind of numb out and Mm -hmm. not have to think about anything. And I always justified it as that's how I was creative. I would get high. I think a lot of people say that. Totally. I would, you know, listen to records or play music or have a deep conversation with someone or I guess thought was a deep conversation. So my wife gets pregnant and this, I mean, we would have a drink before in the past. She would drink wine before. And, you know, when you're pregnant, you probably shouldn't be drinking or doing drugs. So she wasn't drinking and she got cleaner and cleaner with her food and intentional everything she was putting in her body. And she always was, but I mean, really intentional. And I was still doing the same thing. I was still getting high. I was still doing my thing, getting beers, collecting bourbon. Like that's how I justify that I was a bourbon collector. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. And something happened. It was, I think she was about five months pregnant and I'm on the couch at night and this is our normal nightly thing. We'll maybe watch an episode of something, have some conversation and go to bed. And I'm buzzed. I'm a little bit high. And I say something to her that was just silly. And maybe if she would have been buzzed, it would have been funny. But she kind of gave me this look and not out of judgment, but sort of just like, you know, we're not on the same page right now. And it just hit me. I'm like, what the heck am I doing? I have a five month pregnant wife here. She can't drink because she's creating our, our human. And here I am numbing myself, getting messed up by myself next to her on the couch. And it just, it hit me. I'm like, wow. this is pathetic. This is so pathetic. Like no one's partaking or with me in this. This is me on my own. And it was just so evident, like I do have a problem. Wow. So the next day I told myself I wouldn't drink that night. I still got high. Yeah. I still got high for a few nights yeah. in a row. And I told Courtney like two days into or three days into it. I was like, man, it's great being sober. But I was being sarcastic. She's like, you're dry. You're not sober. It kind of hit me too. I was like, okay, well. Well, she knew that terminology. She did. She's, yeah, she did. She knows a lot of the work. She's done a lot of the work herself and not from addiction. So then I stopped smoking and that's when it kind of clicked day five, six, seven. It kept going on. And I was just like, I feel better. Before this, I was yawning all the time. I was taking naps. I wasn't sleeping great. I was moodier. My energy was low. All these things. And I wasn't doing those things anymore. And Courtney, one point, was like, you look really good right now. And this is my wife. And I'm like, kind of perked up. I'm like, yeah. She's like, yeah, your skin looks good. Wow. Like, you look fresh. Your memory's better. Isn't that amazing? Because when I stopped drinking, I lost weight. But it was it, puffiness. I was puffy. Oh, yeah. And I remember going to the gym and having people going, oh, my God, you look so much better. What are you doing? And I was like, I stopped drinking. And they're like, really? Yeah. Like, yeah. So for me, it's been nine months ish right now. And I don't even have the exact date because for me, it wasn't like this intentional. Like, here's my date. This is it. I kind of fell into this after this moment. And I just I feel good. And, And yes, having my daughter definitely put fire under my feet. But. I realized this patterning I was doing was this self-abuse and like the lack of self-love that I did not know how to go inward. I did not know how to go internal and really look at what was going on and, and the why and the reasoning behind that. So nine months in now and like 
I'm almost on the other end of the spectrum. I see someone getting a beer at dinner. And I'm almost like, idiot, like you're ruining your life over here. Uh, <laughs> it's like critical, you know, and I try and quiet that down, but it more intentionally goes to show it's like, okay, like I'm in this, like this is yeah. where I am. This is who I am. And I think the first time I feel like I am who I am and nothing else is defining me as far as like a substance goes. And it feels awesome. My memory is super sharp. I remember everything now. Like yeah. my lens is just super polished and clean and I'm seeing life in a very different way. And I don't mean this in a way where I'm bashing alcohol or, or anything else because maybe someone else can responsibly have alcohol. Yeah, but like my husband can drink and he's fine. He can have half a beer occasionally, a beer, a whole beer occasionally, sure. and that's fine. But for me, I would drink one and then I'd be obsessed. Well, I need another one. Well, I just want one yep. more. Yep. Well, I want one more. And I realized that how easily I kind of stepped into that one more because before when I was running, I'd be like, oh, let me run one more lap <laughs> or let me win one more race or let me train one more client. It was a lot that was so much of my makeup and it started young, like working one job wasn't enough so i had four at one time and so it was like i did the same thing with is there any bit of approval seeking in that you think is it looking for recognition or approvals of someone else probably probably so right yeah probably sounds like it yeah huh and i was just thinking of that actually now that you brought that up i was just thinking of that last night because i did this speaking engagement yesterday and i didn't feel good about it and I was laying in bed last night and I actually asked myself why don't I feel good about this I guess I could have done better like I'm very good that critic came out and I was kind of beating myself up and I thought I know why it's because the event organizer didn't come to me and say good job thanks for coming right and I thought oh I need approval you needed that yeah I need approval and can we get to the point where we don't need approval? Like just doing our best and showing up is yeah. good enough. Yeah. And a lot of things all boil down to when I can take a look at it and I ask myself, like I go through, why are these feelings coming up for me? Because before I would just numb out. I'd yeah. be like, oh, that was a hard day or whatever. And I'm just gonna have a glass of wine and kick back and reward myself for doing so much. I'm going to reward <laughs> that, myself. That, that's a reward, right? Yeah. yeah. By like polluting my body is I'm yeah. going to reward myself and I just numb out. So I wouldn't think about it. So now instead of doing that, I look inward and I ask myself, well, why is this coming up for me? Or I acknowledge the feelings that come up and I embrace those feelings instead of trying to numb them out or cover them up or whatever I would do in the past, I try to look inward and embrace and accept. And then if I'm still not feeling good, go, okay, what is one thing that I can do to be grateful mm. for what I went through or how I'm feeling to shift my perspective yeah. on things? And so I use gratitude a lot as my medicine to shift my perspective and get me focused on the present moment. And it just highlights all that is good. And we all have good stuff in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like Courtney and I's thing before bed is to do a top two. And we call it top two. It's like, what were the best two points of today? 
And it's never like, oh, I won this trophy. That's my number one. It's always like the stuff that might seem smaller or trivial to somebody else. It's like, I love that moment when you and Sophia smiled at me when I walked in the door. Mm. And it just, again, it shows gratitude for myself, my life. It shows gratitude towards them for offering that to me. It's nice when you end the day. And my daughter and I do that. When I, I get in that. bed with my daughter, we have cuddle time oh. with us and our little three pound dog. Oh. And our dog knows, just trained, like, uh, hello, it's cuddle time. What are y'all doing? <laughs> Come on, we got to get in bed. It's cuddle Ready time. for it. Yeah. Ready. So our dog has us trained and we get in bed and i always say what is the best thing that happened to you and what are you grateful for and now she's 11 so a lot of times she says some crazy stuff that is like you know it's like oh really come on now what are you really grateful for but i'm at least you know getting her in the practice and focusing on those things and sometimes she may not in the moment get serious about really thinking about what she's grateful for but i know it's setting that example for her and hopefully you know getting her into that practice so when she grows up and i know this from my older daughter because you know my older daughter has since you know lives on her own she's a grown-up and she tells me things i remember when i went to go see her apartment for the first time i was like oh she is like, you know, she Aww. does clean up after herself. Right. She does, you know, have a little ritual where she likes a mm-hmm. candle and get has that quiet time. So I know that it does later on in life. I know sure. that it. So I'm trying to see if maybe she'll use this as a way of practicing gratitude. Oh, it's such a beautiful opportunity to have to really like someone else will look up to you and they'll want to take after you. And Courtney and I are very uh, consciously parenting in this way. And every day, I mean, it's super exciting i'm like wow like we had set the example for her the one that that we think is is going to be the best for giving out to the world and being open and spreading her love and yet the gratitude one is perfect one that that i think we will probably always do as a family i love it yeah yeah Uh, hey i think we should do a part two of this at some point soon i know because you guys listen like i said we are sitting in the truck and sweating i'm sitting in the sun and i've got black (laughs) pants on and i'm sweating i literally have sweat rolling down my face but i love talking to you so much and i wanted to share this with the audience so we'll definitely do it again i like this format too true grit and grace meets smogcast I think this is kind of a cool way to do it, where we get to maybe express ourselves more than just interviewing somebody else. I got to share stuff today that I would not have shared on my podcast. It sounds like vice versa as well. So it's kind of a cool format. Yes. And and it was totally worth sitting in a sauna getting (laughs) frizzy hair. (laughs) So uh, here's here's what I'm going to project. So session two is going to be after we get out of the ocean. Oh, yes. So we're going to do our swim and we're going to talk about the experience you're going to be able to sense as an audience your energy from that and what and what you got from the ocean and we'll talk through what came up and i think like what that means for you and and how you move forward from that yeah because i said i don't have fear of the open water but when i really started to think about it i do have a fear that it would make the pain in my leg worse Mm. that's what came up so i am anxious to overcome that and prove that i can get in the water yeah 
and do this and share it with the audience. I'm stoked. That's going to be yeah. awesome. Thank you so much Likewise. for sweating in my <laughs> truck that smells like a barn. We've got baseball caps, motorcycle jackets, <laughs> coffee cups, water. Thank you for sitting in and joining me. Likewise. This has been my pleasure. And I'm really, really looking forward to part two. I think the ocean piece might change the conversation totally. Yes. So, thank you. Yeah. Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Where can we find you? Oh, okay. Oh, so, we can't forget that. So, geez. so smog is online. The URL is smog.community. That's the URL. Smog.community. Yep. Okay. On Instagram, it is smog swims. Mm-hmm. My other side of the business for swim coaching is the swim mechanic. That's mm-hmm. my main. And then also the website is theswimmechanic.com. Yes. And you guys check out the Instagram because it's beautiful. I just scrolling through all your pictures Thanks. is beautiful. A lot of ocean imagery and it definitely, I think, entices people to want to get out mm-hmm. there. And your website's beautiful as oh, well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So, so, yeah, check them out. And what about you? So I can oh, do the same. Okay. AmberlyLago.com. Okay. And if you check out my Instagram at AmberlyLago Motivation, you can check my bio and find my TEDx talk yeah. and my book, True Grit and Grace. You can find that on Amazon's probably the easiest. You can get it at the bookstore, but it's so much easier just to get it on Amazon. <laughs> two hours Prime. to your door. Yeah, it's to your door. <laughs> so yeah, True Grit and Grace on Instagram as well. But my main is Amberly Lago Motivation yeah. at AmberlyLago.com. You got a lot of gems on there for sure. So oh. I'll share it with my people and Thank get the word you. out. Yeah. And I'll have this in the show notes as well. Cool. So. Okay. All right. Okay. Until next time. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us this week on True Grit and Grace podcast. If you like it, please rate it or share it with your friends. That would help too. If you're not yet on the newsletter list, come over to AmberlyLago.com and jump on it. While you're there, you can grab a free downloadable gratitude journal and you might just want to check out my book or even check out my monthly motivational membership. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next week.